Let's jump in. Part four of Lead Like Jesus is all about the habits of a leader, the habits of a leader. Now, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, you know, from a kid's perspective, when I looked at leaders, right? One, they always had this, this charisma, this air about them. You know, you knew that they were the leader by how they walked in the room, by how they commanded uh, the attention, you know, just by their presence. And, and, and just think about, you know, when, when you think like that, think about your elementary school principal, dun, 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 right? When the principal walked in the room, it was like, oh, everybody sat up a little bit taller. Everybody kind of got quiet because the leader was in the room. And for some reason, the principal, you know, man, you know, commanded kind of a, a different presence than, than your teacher, maybe. And, and man, they were the leader. And I, being around, you know, different pastors and leaders growing up, you know, I saw this across the board that, man, leaders always kind of had this charisma. And if they had a certain position, you know, I thought in my logical mind that, that they must be a great leader, Right? That, that, man, if they're in that position, they must be a great leader. And then I grew up, and I realized that position is the lowest form of leadership. And not everyone that is maybe in a position of leadership is a great leader. And as a leader, I know that this includes me sometimes, right? Just because I have the title pastor, just because I have the title dad, just because I've, I've got these different titles and positions of leadership in my life don't necessarily mean that I know what I'm doing. Can I get an amen? And so if we look at leaders and we're like, man, we start to wonder, well, then what does great leadership look like? And so as I started to look at as I started to look at different leaders as I was growing up and started to understand maybe the behind the scenes things when it comes to leadership, I started to wonder what do great leaders do that make them great leaders? What do they do? What do they think about? What do they focus on? What do they do every day? And I guess what that really boils down to is what are their habits? What do they do repeatedly that has made them who they are and turned them into the leader that they've become? And so the big idea today that we're going to talk about is that great leaders have great habits. Great leaders have great habits. Man, I've heard of a lot of different habits that leaders have. One of my favorite that, that, that for some reason just always sticks out to me is, is I heard one time that George uh, Bush, the younger one, when he was president, even while he was in office, keeping the schedule that presidents keep, he still read 52 books a year. Can you imagine? Reading must have been one of his habits. And he must have been a really fast reader. Can I, you know, right? Can I get a witness? I know that I'm not that fast of a reader, and I could read every day and not read 52 books a year because I'm a little bit slower. But, you know, we hear things like leaders are learners. Leaders are readers. What, what other habits do leaders have? They courageously take action. They're, they're risk takers. They, they maybe act when other people sit still. Leaders are goal-oriented. They're planners. They know the why behind the what. They have a knack for timing and doing the right thing at the right time. And so all of these could be considered habits of great leadership. But as you know, the series is called Lead Like Jesus. And so looking at Jesus, we see a few habits that I really think are reachable for you and me and every believer that no matter what kind of position of leadership that we have, that we can emulate, that we can follow after. 
And so looking at Jesus, we see a few habits loud and clear. One, and he, he started right off the bat, he started picking disciples. And he started the process of leadership development or discipleship. We see Jesus teaching and preaching on a regular basis. It was, it was a habit that he was unpacking the mysteries of God for people. We see Jesus had the, the habit of prayer and solitude. He regularly and habitually got alone with God. One of my favorite habits that Jesus unpacks that he literally says, well, you know, what's, what's something that Jesus said that we should do every single day without fail? Anybody remember? He said, take up your cross daily. Man, how cool is that? Take up your cross daily and follow him. We see that Jesus attended worship, even from a young age. They, they had a habit of going to the temple and, and, and participate, or the synagogue, and, and, and participating in worship. We see that Jesus took part in community. He would sit around, even at, even at the age of 12, he was sitting around with people in the temple and discussing God's word. We see that Jesus practiced generosity. He was a very giving person. When he sent the disciples out, he, he told them to be generous. Freely you've received, freely give. And then after Jesus left, we see all these habits echoed and repeated in Acts chapter 2 in the beginning of the early church. And so all these are good and all these are great. And, and man, we could form our life after these. We can go to church. We can be generous. We can, we can teach. We can lead leaders. We can, we can you know, practice prayer and solitude. But I wanted to kind of put these in a package today that might you know, meet us right where we're at and give us some really clear handles that, that would help us lead like Jesus with our habits. And so let's dig in today. The first habit that I think as leaders who want to lead like Jesus, that maybe is a little bit less on the forefront, like going to church, that's obvious. Giving, that's obvious. You know, be, being a disciple who makes disciples, that's kind of obvious. But what's something that maybe is a little bit beneath the surface? And, and it's this, it's that we need to clarify our identity. And this isn't something that we just do one time. It's not something that, okay, I, I know who I am. And okay, kind of like, eh, guys, let's just be real. Has your wife ever said, man, you just, you don't tell me you loved me as much as you used to. Or, or I never hear you say, oh, baby, you're so pretty anymore. And, and, and you say, well, I told you 15 years ago when we got married, right? This is kind of one of those things. It's like, hey, just because you knew at one time or just because you, 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 you told yourself a while back. No, no, this is a habit that we need to clarify our identity. Here's what I know, and we see it through the disciples, especially when it comes to people like Peter, that insecurity is toxic to leadership. That if we don't know who we are, and if we're not confident and comfortable in our own skin and how God made us, that man, it's gonna create a big barrier as we step out and try to lead. If you're insecure and you try to parent, if you're insecure and you try to lead a life group, if you're insecure and you try to lead a classroom at school, your insecurities are going to be enmeshed into your leadership. It's also, I believe, the chief hurdle for most leaders. Why? You've heard me say before that when you compare and you compete, you live in defeat. 
And so when you're constantly looking at other people and comparing and you're competing and, and life is just one big, you know, competition and you're always, you know, just insecure about who you are and how God made you and, and where you're at, you're going to just live in this constant state of defeat. And so the rub really comes in your life when it comes to insecurity because it's impossible to behave. Listen to this. It's impossible to behave in a manner inconsistent with how you see yourself. It's impossible to behave in a manner that is inconsistent with how you see yourself. Now let's get really spiritual for a moment. If you know that Jesus forgave you, you took communion today in remembrance of the amazing sacrifice that he made for you. And maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've done it a thousand times. But you still have trouble seeing yourself as forgiven. The memories of your past, the things that you've done wrong, you're still carrying it. And the devil brings that up all the time. Hey, you're trying to serve God, but remember how bad you messed up? Remember who you used to be? Remember that? And man, you're still carrying that and wearing it loud and proud. And even though you say you follow Jesus, you're still walking in this insecurity, not knowing if Jesus really could have forgiven somebody like you. And that's just one example. Now, think about that when I say that it's impossible to behave in a manner inconsistent with how you see yourself. This is why it's so important to clarify your identity. It's so incredibly important because insecurity and especially spiritual insecurity, if you can't be confident in who God says you are, it's really going to hurt your ability to serve him. I've said it before and I'll say it again. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. You and I, we are, we are individuals. We are unique. But this is the caveat if you're a Christ follower. You can never completely separate your identity from your creator. Because God is the one that made you unique. And so, yes, everybody's different. We get that. Everybody needs to settle in, though, to their God-given identity. And part of that God-given identity is that you and I, we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart. And I know that's kind of a cliche, but it fits so good that there's this God-shaped hole in our identity, in who we are. And man, it is really impossible to feel like, man, I'm walking in my own skin, that I'm settling into who God made me to be if Jesus isn't right there in the center this is why it's so important to clarify our identity. Listen to how it says it in 1 John 4, 15 through 16. It says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And so this is kind of a mystery. It's kind of hard to explain. It's like, man, those we hear the words, but we have trouble really putting flesh to that in our life. Let me just boil it down to this. We need each other. 
When I say you and God, when I say you and Jesus, and, and when, when you live in him, he lives in you, and there's this partnership, and there's this security that comes from knowing that you belong to Jesus. Jesus is a necessary part of your identity. He's not an, an addition. He's not an add-on. He's not just something that you do on the weekends. He's not just something, some title that you have in life, you know, that, that, that says you're a Christian. No, he's inside of you. He's with you. He's something that your life cannot be complete without. Remember that old slogan and that old line that came from that old movie, you complete me, Right? Listen, you can't say that and be true about your spouse because your spouse doesn't complete you. But you can say that about Jesus. He really does. He completes you. Listen, Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he and the Father were one, that they, they, you know, that they couldn't live without each other. Think about it. When Jesus got baptized and he came up out of that water and when John baptized him and heaven opened up and, and, and you know, something that looked like a dove descended and, and they heard this voice from heaven that was God the Father speaking. He said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus knew who he was. I, I think that that voice came to, to, you know, start to tell everybody else who he was. But you know, I, I don't think Jesus ever really struggled with this insecurity or, you know, he was Jesus. And so that, that's probably one way. And we'll talk about this, that he was different than us. But right after Jesus, God tells him, hey, this is who you are and, and, you know, speaks this over his life. What happens then? Luke chapter four, he goes out into the desert. He's led by the spirit out into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. Tempted for 40 days. You better, you better know that Jesus had to know who he was. He had to be clear in his identity if he was, if was going to stand up to temptation for 40 days. After that, he comes back home and, and, and he is rejected by his hometown. Remember, this is when he gets up in front of church, and, and what does he say? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus proclaims this Old Testament prophecy over his own life and says, hey, this is who I am. He clarified his identity. Later on, we hear Jesus say things like, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the living water. I and the Father are one. Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was. He clarified his identity over and over and over and over. And when Jesus comes into your life and mine, he does the same thing for you. Part of the problem, though, is, church, we have this, this horrible short-term memory. We forget who we are. We step back into the old self. We step back into the way things used to be. And if you're an unbeliever and you're searching, man, man, you better hear when I say this, that there is hope for a new future. 
that you can be different in Christ. And just because you've known Christians that really don't look that much different than, than, than what they used to look like, hey, don't let them be your example. Jesus makes it possible for us to be different. And so in John 5, 25, listen to this. Jesus says, and I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. Jesus was talking about the spiritually dead, those that didn't know whose they were, the, one, the ones that, that didn't have new life, that had not yet been made a new creation in Christ, the, the, those who could, it could not be said of them that the old has gone and the new has come. But you see, church, when we listen to Jesus, We've got to let him clarify our identity, right? And when we hear his voice, the voice of the Son of God, and when we listen, we'll live. And so Jesus is the key to an identity that is alive, that is alive. Amen. And we see this echoed in, in the apostles as they wrote the epistles to the churches. I mean, think about it. At the beginning of every one of the epistles, which are these letters written by the apostles to the churches, you know, they, they said things like in Romans 1.1, when Paul said, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. Paul was confident in who he was, where he was going, and what he was put on earth to do. And I love it. It's like he didn't just say it one time. He said it again and again with every letter he wrote. This is who I am and this is who I'm, what I'm here to do. Love it. And so how do you apply this to your life? Number one, you need to get home this week. Get in your Bible. Start going crazy, highlighting all the scriptures that talk about who Jesus says you are. Because the Bible says some amazing things about who you are in Christ. The Bible says that he knows you by name. He knows you. And so when you feel alone, you just take solace in the fact that I am known. The Bible says that God has loved you with an everlasting love. And so you are loved. Jesus says, I gave my life for you. And so... You can have this identity that you are worthy, not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of what he did for you. Part of your identity can come from the verse that says that he has great plans for you. And so you can have this identity that says, I have a purpose. I've got a reason to be here. The Bible says that nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. So you have security. You're safe when you put your life in God's hands. Jesus says that he's going to wipe away every tear from your eye, which means you could be a person of joy. Joy can be a part of your identity because he is your joy. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. And so part of my identity is that I'm provided for. I'm provided for. I, I want for nothing. I have everything that I need because Jesus is my Lord. Part of your identity is that, that, that is from when God says that he takes great delight in you. He doesn't just love you. He takes delight in you, which means that you are wanted. 
Some of you, man, you go around every day, you go to work, you go to school, and you're not sure anybody really wants to be around you. You know, you got those people in your life that have to be around you. Sometimes you look at your parents and they're like, oh, you have to love me, right? Or you look at your friends and you're like, oh, they, they just put up with me. Or you look at your teachers and, and, you, and something about their body language, you know, makes it seem like they don't really want to be around you. But hey, part of your identity is that Jesus delights in you. You are wanted. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. So part of your identity is that you are not alone. You're not alone. And so I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes on a regular basis, I've got to clarify this identity over and over and over. It's got to be a daily habit. The second thing, the second habit, is that we have to practice margin in our life. And this goes along with the, with the, the identity portion. All these kind of interweave together, but we've got to practice margin. We've got to, and what is margin? Margin is, it's the space between your load and your limits. It's the space between your load and your limits. Think about it. What is the most important thing you do on a daily basis? The answer to that question is something for you to journal this week, but the answer reveals so much. We see from Jesus' life that one of the most important things in his life was margin. He regularly went off alone to pray. He went into the desert where he was led by the Spirit into the desert to fast. He was tempted. He stayed up all night praying. He got up early and he went out as he usually did. The scripture is so precise in saying Think about it, though. In our culture, in our lives, we're more like a, an Indy 500 race car. You know, we're going 200 miles an hour, however fast they go around the track, but we're never pulling over for the pit stop. Right? We talked about it a few weeks ago when we talked about Sabbath, but, you know, we just want to go and go and go, and we want to add and add and add. And you know what happens when the car skips its pit stop. It doesn't make it to the next one. Jason, my son, he got a really cool truck a few weeks ago. And, and it's been awesome, but it's also been a little bit of an adventure because as soon as we got it, you know, everything started breaking. How many of you have been there? Now, you know, I mean, we probably should have expected it when we bought a truck for, for 3,000 uh, bucks. But hey, it ran and, it, and it, it's a manual, it's a stick shift, so he's having fun. And so, but man, since we got that truck, we put a new radiator, we put uh, new brake lines, um, you know, even the oil filter had a leak. I mean, it's, but hey, we're good now. We're good now. But this last week, we had another scare. scare. He calls me. He's like, Dad, there's white smoke coming out all over the place. And I'm like, ah, give me a spoon and let me just just stab my eye out. I was like, one of those things is like the last thing I wanted to hear. And I wasn't in a good mood. And, and I was like, ah. Luckily... He had just been noticing the signs of smoke and, and impending doom right as he pulled down our cul-de-sac and kind of zoomed up the driveway into a spot. And so I was like, well, I'll t check it out when I get home. And I don't know anything about cars. Um, you know, and so I get home, and, and, my, and Jason has already Googled it. And he's like, Dad, I think that um, the head gasket blew. Because when you see white smoke, that, you know, that maybe is what happened. And so I was like, oh, no. I'm like, dude, you might not have a car anymore. Like, uh, we're, not, we're, we're not spending two grand to get that done. And so, you know, 
I look around and, and, and all of a sudden I see that there's just this hose that came apart and it spewed the coolant all over the place, which caused the white smoke. And so put it back together, filled it back up with coolant and dad saved the day, right? And even though I don't know anything about cars, we made it. And it's like, everything is fine. I put a hose clamp on that thing and I'm like, you are not coming apart again. And hey, we're good to go. But you know why he's still driving a car today? Because he stopped when he saw the warning signs. He didn't keep driving. He didn't just keep pushing. He didn't just keep going. He's like, man, when something seemed to be a little bit off, thank goodness, he had a place to pull over and get things right. And that is such a good picture of margin in your life. That when you feel like, man, some things are off, then it's time to take a pit stop. It's time to take some margin in your life. Someone close to me that I grew up with that will, that will remain unnamed to protect the guilty. You know, but I know someone very close to me that, that, that ruined two cars because they never got an oil change. Like ever. Like just, just for some reason thought they could just keep going and going and going and, and the car was just, yeah, never got an oil change. And so two engines seized up because they never stopped. And it's the same is true in your life. When you don't stop, when you just keep going, when there's no margin, there's no space between your load and your limits, you will crash and burn. But we are usually the people of more. We add a lot and we rarely subtract, which is really different than the kind of attitude that we see throughout Scripture and the pace with which Jesus lived. For instance, in Psalm 62.10, it says, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Right. But for us, when our wealth increases, when our, our our abilities increase, when our talents increase, we just do more. But Psalm 8410 says a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. And so think about that, church. What's the most important thing you do every day? And is there margin for the kind of attitude that is reflected in the life of Jesus? that the most important thing I do is spending time in God's courts and his presence with him. Listen, when, you, when will you clarify your identity if you don't have margin? When? It's so easy to lose yourself in what you are doing when you don't regularly, regularly clarify who you are. But when you never slow down enough to do it, then you start to forget. What does life without margin look like? The urgent replaces the significant. You start to do a lot running around so busy, but you accomplish little. And so, a few things to do before we move on to the next point to remember. Number one, you just gotta realize the work will never be finished, right? The work will never be finished. Number two, you gotta realize that you're not the Messiah. The world doesn't rest on your shoulders. Number three, you gotta get over the self-imposed guilt. You know, when you're not working, when you're not feeling productive, just settle down and spend some time with Jesus. And then number four, just filter others' expectations because sometimes you're gonna have to say no, and it's okay to say no, to protect the margin in your life so that you have time to clarify your identity and get on the same page with Jesus. I love what Wayne Cordero says in the book, Sifted. He says, the goal is never to burn out for Christ. 
The goal is to be consistently usable for kingdom work for however long God has us on earth. How many of you want that? The goal is never to burn out. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to keep driving after the warning lights go off. I don't want to keep going because and just going and going and going and be and have a life that's based on what I'm doing. I want to remember who I am in Christ. And to do that, I've got to build in some margin. Amen. So margin allows us the space to keep our eyes on Christ, to stay centered on who he is, and to stay focused on what he's appointed us to do. The third thing as we close today, the third habit of a great leader. So first, we're going to clarify our identity. Second, we're going to practice margin. And then third, we're going to have this habit of sharpening ourselves. You see, one of the differences between you and I and Christ is that you and I were born sinners. Jesus never sinned. But he fought the battle. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, but he never sinned. And that's why he was able to pay the price for our sin on the cross. But another distinction on this point is that no matter how sharp or good you get, the victory always belongs to the Lord. But we're still called to fight and to grow. We're still called to get better. We're still called to grow. Look at it in the life of Jesus. In Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. He grew. He, there were areas in his life that he continued to get better. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Man, this is just such a good picture for our life. God, I'm going to work as hard as I can to get better. I'm going to try to grow just like you know Jesus set the example. But hey, it's not on me. The victory belongs to the Lord. So, but I'm going to do my best to sharpen the tool to be the best vessel that God can use and to sharpen myself. You think about it like this. An axe has an intended purpose, right? To cut things. And God created you with an intended purpose to be fruitful for his kingdom. But the blade has to be kept sharp for the axe to continue to fulfill its purpose. And so it's the same in your life. It's got, you got to sharpen yourself. you got to continue to grow and get better. You know, I think of the, the parable that Jesus shared about the bridesmaids in Matthew chapter 5. He said, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Man, what a great picture. Five that planned ahead, that stayed sharp, that, that thought about the future, that thought about their life and their purpose and what they were doing. Five that were just going by the seat of their pants, just going along for the ride, not thinking about the future, not thinking about what's coming, just... Riding the wave, coasting. The oil in this story represents the provision of righteousness, the supply of the Holy Spirit that is to fill the life of believers, this dependence on God's power, this time spent in his presence, us drawing our strength and drawing you know, what we need for life from the Holy Spirit. 
to be people who are growing the fruit of the Spirit, becoming better and better every day. We've got to sharpen ourselves, church. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 22? He was at the Garden of Gethsemane. He was sweating drops of blood. He was, he was about to go to the cross. And he, it says, when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, I know right off the bat that this kind of seems like it's in, in contrast to margin, you know, resting and taking time. But the point isn't so much, you know, the rest, the point is what we're doing when we rest. That, we're, that we have this attitude that we're going to keep time in our life to grow in our relationship with Jesus because it's the most important thing. And so sometimes that means we're staying up all night praying. Sometimes that means that we're, we're, we're sacrificing things that we wanted for something that God has for us. But the point is that we're staying ready, that we're staying sharp for whatever is to come. 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18 says, so be on guard, stay sharp, we could say. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, failing is inevitable if you're not ready for the fight. So you got to stay sharp. If you want to be a leader and lead like Jesus, Stay sharp, grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ. And then lastly, in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, it says, stay alert, stay sharp. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in the faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. So you got to stay sharp. Get in God's word. Learn it. Use it. Get in a life group. Iron sharpens iron. Sharpen yourself in your walk with Christ. And so what does a leader do that leads like Jesus? What are their habits? Clarify your identity. Know who you are in Christ. Practice margin. Get alone with Jesus. And then be a person who develops themselves continually, growing. Because if you don't, failure is inevitable. Jesus, help us today. Help us to lead like you. Help us to remember who we are and whose we are and, and, and everything to flow from that identity of who we are in Christ. God, help us not to feel like we have, the, have to carry everything all the time, but we can just practice margin and spend time in your presence. God, help us to continually sharpen ourselves, to stay alert, to be on guard, to remember that we can't coast. We've got to keep going and growing in our relationship with you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.